All right, so we're broadcasting on uh, our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, The African History Network, and our YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P. We're broadcasting there right now. So shout out to everybody watching us on social media. Welcome to The African History Network show. Uh, It is Sunday, July 17th, 2022, and we are live. We're also broadcasting on 9, 10 a.m. the Superstation, the Future Radio. So you can download the iHeartRadio app. And search for 9, 10 a.m. Superstation WFDF or listen um, on your AM dial, 9, 10 a.m. WFDF. Now, on the African History Network show, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right now it's correct wrong behavior. So once again, on today's show, we're going to give you an update on what's taking place um, with Muhammad Aziz, who's 84 years old. He was wrong, wrongfully convicted in the... Um, assassination of Malcolm X. He spent two decades in prison. Uh, he is suing the, uh, he, su- he is suing New York City uh, for, uh, he's filed a $40 million lawsuit against uh, New York City. And he said that the uh, wrongful conviction caused immense and irreparable damage to him and his family. He's now 84 years old. And, um, he spent more than 55 years of being wrongfully blamed, his name in history books, wrongfully blamed for the assassination of Malcolm X. Also, we have an update in the story uh, dealing with uh, Emmett Till and the assassination of Emmett Till. You know, on last Sunday's show, uh, and this has been rebroadcasting on our social media platforms. You know, on last Sunday's show, we uh, talked about the uh, arrest warrant that was issued August 29th, uh, 1955 for Carolyn Bryant Dunham. And we, t- we dealt with how that arrest warrant was recently found by volunteers and his family members. Now they want the arrest warrant to be served. Okay. Now they want the arrest warrant to be served. Okay. So you have uh, the, Uh, Mississippi State's Attorney General, who has said through a spokesperson, uh, he has no plans to prosecute Carolyn Bryant Dunham. Okay, number one. Number two, you have, uh, we don't know what the uh, local district attorney is going to do. The LaFleur County uh, District Attorney would be the one who actually prosecutes the case. Uh, we don't know what uh, he's going to do, but we have an update there. And then there was a, uh, a, a un, an unpublished manuscript, 99-page manuscript that the Associated Press uh, obtained uh, this past week, uh, written by Carolyn Bryant Dunham. And in this unpublished manuscript, she claims that she tried to protect Emmett Till uh, before her husband uh, killed him. OK, we're going to talk about that. Um, as well. She claims that um, she did not identify uh, Emmett Till when her husband uh, brought him to her in the unpublished memoir. Carolyn Bryan Dunham claims that when her husband and brother-in-law brought Emmett Till to her to identify him as the one who made the advances toward her, she told him, quote, he's not the one, that's not him, end quote. Now, his family, you know, uh, disputes all of this. This is something new that popped up uh, this past week in unpublished uh, memoir, all right? But we'll talk about this 
uh, also on today, as well as uh, House Democrats passed two bills uh, dealing with uh, women's reproductive rights and abortion to protect abortion rights. We talked about this on Roland Martin Unfiltered um, on Friday when I was on. We're going to share a couple segments of that uh, as well. And we talk about the Border Patrol uh, agents uh, did not strike Del Rio migrants, the Haitian migrants. A 511-page report was released last week. And uh, we'll deal with that as well. You listen to the African History Network show on 9, 10 a.m. Superstation WFDF. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. IDO Network International, in collaboration with STL Black Woman, DACA, and ACTA, present the Royal Pilgrimage to the Americas, August 24th through the 28th. The African kings and queens are coming to you for business, networking, and sharing of Pan-African ideals. The venue will be the illustrious En Garde Arts Hotel in St. Louis, Missouri. A royal cultural experience and exhibitions, trade and investment opportunities in Africa, the Caribbean, and the Americas. A royal Pan-African summit hosting keynote speakers and a red carpet banquet. Come and witness our African royal coronation ceremony. Register at www.idonetwork.org to book your ticket to wine and dine with African royalty. Vendor opportunities available. Get face-to-face -face with the royals who own the land and resources for business. Contact DACA for deal room information at 602-730-4572. The work that I do is larger than the fashion industry, it's larger than the art world, and I believe that I was born to bring newness into this world. I'm Kaima McIntyre, I'm 24 years old and I'm an artist. I create everything from paintings to jewelry design, metaphysical jewelry to be specific, and fashion design. The only reason why my prom dress went viral is because people needed it. Within a few days of going viral, Notori Naughton reached out to me. She's like, I saw your dress, can you make me a dress? I was equally as shocked to be asked by a celebrity to design their dress at the age of 17. That's just one person and the list just continues to go on to Janet Jackson, to Tyra Banks. It really hits home. That means that the discussion is happening on the grounds in real time. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 9, 10 a.m. Superstation, the future radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. It is Sunday, July 17th, 2022, and we are live. Calling numbers 313-778-7600. 313-778-7600 is the call-in number if you have a question or comment. All right. So um, right, right before the break, we were, one of the things we were talking about is the uh, news that came out uh, a few days ago that uh, Muhammad Aziz, one of the men who was wrongfully uh, convicted in the killing of um, Malcolm X. Uh, he was originally known as Norman 3X Butler. OK, Muhammad Aziz. Uh, he's filed a lawsuit against um, New York City for $40 million. Now, you remember uh, we talked about back in uh, November 2021, and I'm going to go to this uh, article here 
from the New York Times. Uh, two men convicted in two two men convicted of killing Malcolm X will be exonerated after decades. Two men convicted of killing Malcolm X will be exonerated after uh, after decades. And this article is from um, November. What's what's the date on this one here? Uh, November seventeenth, twenty twenty one. Updated November twentieth. Uh, 2021. So, and let me go to, let's go right here and get the right title up here. All right. Uh, the 1966 convictions of the two men are expected to be thrown out after a lengthy investigation validating long held doubts about who killed the civil rights leaders. So their convictions were thrown out. All right. Two of the men found guilty of the assassination. Uh, Malcolm X are expected to have their convictions thrown out on Thursday, and they were. The Manhattan District attorney and lawyers for the two men uh, said that rewriting the official history of one of the most notorious uh, murders of the uh, civil rights era, one of the most notorious murders of the civil rights era. Now, we know that the FBI... Uh, withheld information that would have exonerated them uh, of the murder, okay? Uh, that would be Norman 3X Butler, uh, who changed his name to Muhammad Aziz, as well as uh, Thomas 15X Johnson, uh, who changed his name to Khalil Islam. Now, for decades, historians have cast doubt on the case against the uh, two men, Muhammad Aziz, and uh, Khalil Islam, who each spent more than 20 years in prison, who each spent more than 20 years in prison. Their exoneration, uh, their exoneration represents a remarkable acknowledgement of grave errors made in a case of towering importance. Uh, the 1965 murder of one of America's most influential African-American leaders, uh, Malcolm X. El Hodge Malik El Shabazz. Now, um, it's long overdue, said Brian Stevenson, a, a civil rights lawyer and uh, the founder of the Equal Justice Initiative. This is one of the most prominent uh, figures of the 20th century who commanded enormous attention and respect, and yet our system failed. Our system failed. Now, a 22-month investigation conducted jointly by the Manhattan District Attorney's Office and lawyers for the two men found that prosecutors and uh, two of the nation's premier law enforcement agencies, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, which was under J. Edgar Hoover, okay, the FBI, as well as the uh, New York Police Department, okay, this 22-month investigation that was opened up by the Manhattan District attorney's office, which was at the time Cyrus R. Vance, who was retired from the position. This 22-month investigation found that the FBI and the New York Department had withheld key evidence that, had it been turned over, would have likely led to the men's acquittal. They withheld key evidence that, if it had been turned over, would have likely led to uh, the two men's acquittal, uh, acquittals. Subsequently, they spent two decades in prison 
for a crime they did not commit. Now, the two men known at the time of the killing as Norman 3X Butler, who's now Muhammad Aziz, and Khalil Islam, who is Thomas 15X Johnson, and Khalil Islam has passed away. So a lawsuit was filed this past week on, on behalf of his, of his estate for $40 million. It was filed in a Brooklyn federal court on uh, his behalf. He spent uh, Khalil Islam, Thomas 15X Johnson, spent 22 years in prison and for a crime he did not commit. Okay. So, uh, and we know the assassination of Malcolm X took place February 21st, 1965 at the Audubon Ballroom in, in Manhattan, in the Washington Heights area there of Manhattan. But the case against them was questionable from the outset. And in the decades since, historians and amateur investigators have raised doubts about the official story, have raised doubts about the official story. Now, the review which was undertaken as an explosive documentary about the assassination and a new biography renewed interest in the case. Uh, it did not identify who prosecutors now believe really killed Malcolm X. Uh, those who were previously implicated but never arrested are dead. Those who were previously impl implicated but never arrested are dead. Now, uh, we know the documentary who killed Malcolm X really shed a lot of light uh, on this as well. And uh, evidence that was withheld and that these two uh, brothers who were convicted in the assassination of Malcolm X were uh, innocent. Okay. Nor did it uncover a police or government conspiracy to murder him. It also, also left unanswered about how and why the police and the federal government failed to prevent the assassination by at least one member of a New Jersey chapter of the Nation of Islam. Now, uh, that man, Mujahid, uh, Mujahid Halim, was also found guilty and his conviction stands. Okay. Now, at the time, that was uh, Talmadge Hayer, also known as Thomas Hagen, okay, his conviction stands. Now, at the trial, he confessed to the murder of Malcolm X, but said, uh, and, and he maintained that the other two men, Khalil Islam and uh, Muhammad Aziz, he maintained that those two men were innocent. Now, at his home in Brooklyn on uh, Thursday, back in November 2021, uh, Mujah Mujahid uh, Abdul Halim, Thomas Hare, Thomas Hagen, now 80 years old, offered a simple uh, response to the news about his co-defendants. He said, God bless you. They're, they're exonerated, he said in a quiet voice. God bless you. They are exonerated. Now, the acknowledgement by Cyrus R. Vance, who was the then Manhattan district attorney who um, retired from from that position. He's not the district attorney anymore, but in November, 2021, he was the one who opened up. He was the Manhattan, Manhattan district attorney who opened up this new investigation. The acknowledgement by Cyrus R. Vance, the Manhattan district attorney at the time, who was among the nation's most prominent local prosecutors, recast one of the most painful moments in modern American history. One of the most painful moments in modern American history. And at a time when discrimination in the criminal justice system are once again the focus of a national protest movement, it reveals a bitter truth that two people convicted of killing Malcolm X 
black Muslim men hastily arrested and tried on shaky evidence were themselves victims of the very discrimination and injustice that Malcolm X denounced in language that has echoed across the decades, that has echoed across decades. Now, in an interview with then Manhattan District Attorney Cyrus R. Vance, uh, he apologized on behalf of law enforcement. Manhattan District Attorney Vance apologized on behalf of law enforcement, uh, which he said had failed the families of the two men. Uh, those Failures, he said, could not be remedied, quote, but we can do, but what we can do is acknowledge the error, the severity of the error. What we can do is acknowledge the error, uh, the severity of the error, end quote. Now, Cyrus R. Vance's investigation conducted with the Innocence Project and the office of David Shines, uh, S-H-A-N-I-E-S, a civil rights lawyer contended uh, with serious obstacles. Many of those involved in the murder case, including witnesses, investigators, and trial lawyers, as well as other uh, potential suspects died long ago, as well as other potential suspects died long ago. Well, it reminds me of the Emmett Till uh, case and his his lynching, because basically all those witnesses died. Okay, Carolyn Bryant is still alive, but we're going to deal with that story next. Now, key documents were lost to time and physical evidence in the assassination of Malcolm X, such as murder weapons, um, that were no longer available to be tested. Now, uh, Manhattan District Attorney at the time, Cyrus R. Vance, said, quote, this points to the truth that law enforcement over history has often failed to live up to its responsibilities. These men did not get the justice they deserve. Okay, we'll continue this on the other side of the break. We're going to give you the update about the lawsuit that Muhammad Aziz, uh, who was known as Norman 3X Butler, filed this past week against New York City. You listen to the African History Network show right here on 9, 10 a.m. The Superstation, the Future Radio. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. The work that I do is larger than the fashion industry, it's larger than the art world. And I believe that I was born to bring newness into this world. I'm Kaima McIntyre, I'm 24 years old and I'm an artist. I create everything from paintings to jewelry design, metaphysical jewelry to be specific, and fashion design. The only reason why my prom dress went viral is because people needed it. Within a few days of going viral, Natori Naughton reached out to me and she's like, I saw your dress, can you make me a dress? I was equally as shocked to be asked by a celebrity to design their dress at the age of 17. That's just one person and the list just continues to go on to Janet Jackson, to Tyra Banks. It really hits home. That means that the discussion is happening on the grounds in real time. STEM Forward, helping our community find their place in the emerging fields of science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Join us for our monthly live stream on our website, stemforwardedu.org. Watch, subscribe, share. Also join our mailing list to stay up to date with STEM resources and opportunities. STEM Forward, the future is now. Watch, subscribe, share. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 9, 10 a.m. on the Superstation, the Future Radio. Um, the call in number is 313-778-7600. 313-778-7600 is the call in number if you have a question or comment. So right before the break, we were dealing with the um, 
uh, news that came out uh, this past week. There's an article here from uh, NBC News. We're actually going to talk about this on Roland Martin Unfiltered on Friday. I'm a panelist usually on Fridays, and we ran out of time. Uh, we didn't get a chance to get to this. And I said, uh, we're going to talk about this here on the African History Network show. Okay. Uh, man exonerated in Malcolm X's murder files, $40 million lawsuit against New York City. This is about uh, Muhammad Aziz. Okay. So Muhammad Aziz uh, used to be known as uh, Norman uh, 3X Butler. Okay. Norman 3X Butler. And let's go to this article here from uh, NBC News. Calling numbers also 313-778-7600. If you have a quick question or comment, you can give us a call. We're on live, okay? Uh, 313-778-7600. Okay, A. Wait said you can't get money back from folks pretending to be. No, you can't. So uh, as I was saying during the break, um, there's some fake um Cash app accounts out there pretending to be the African History Network that have been stealing money from us. You know, we've been talking about that here on the show. That's why I have the information at our website, the uh, theafricanhistorynetwork.com, our new website. I contacted Cash App two months ago. They launched an investigation. They're slower than Heinz Ketchup. Cash App is slower than Heinz Ketchup. Um, and this has been going on for about a year. I was actually um, able to finally get to somebody to have them open up an investigation. I followed, followed up with them about a month ago. They said they're still investigating. I'm going to follow up with them tomorrow because it doesn't take this long to investigate. Um, unless you investigate in, you know, like the January 6th um, uh, insurrection or something like that. But it doesn't take this long. So um, that hopefully that answers your question. They, they, oh, so they told me that any money that uh, the fraudsters uh, got from people, they said I would not be able to get that back. Okay. Now, people who... Uh, may have sent it to the wrong Cash App account. There is a possibility. Uh, there's a um, option you can go through Cash App to try to do that and say you sent it to the wrong account. You're trying to send it to ours. That may work. Um, I've had it happen before. Somebody caught it in like within 24, 48 hours, and they were able to get the money back. But if it's like two months ago, I don't think I don't know. <laughs> okay, I'm just being. I, I don't know. All right, but anyway. Man exonerated in Malcolm X's murder files, $40 million lawsuit against New York City. Okay, so uh, this is from NBC News from July, Friday, July 15th, 2022. Uh, this was uh, reported on by Reuters, Reuters the uh, newswire service Reuters, picked up by NBC News. A man exonerated last May, uh, last November, November 21st, in the 1965 killing of civil rights leader Malcolm X has sued New York City after it admitted to have wrongfully branded him a murderer, after they admitted that they had wrongfully branded him a murderer. Uh, Muhammad Aziz, who's now 84 years old, is seeking $40 million for the two decades he spent in prison and more than 55 years, more than 55 years of being wrongly blamed, saying it caused immense and irreparable damage to him and his family. History books documentaries, uh, uh, TV shows, things like this, branded him a murderer. He's he's innocent, wrongfully convicted. Now, Muhammad Aziz is married and has six children. Okay, now, a $40 million lawsuit was also filed in Brook Federal Court 
by the estate of co-defendant Khalil Islam, who used to be known as Thomas 15X Johnson. Khalil Islam spent 22 years in prison for the assassination of Malcolm X and has also been exonerated. He has passed. He has passed away, however. Now, Deborah uh, Francois, a lawyer for both plaintiffs, they got a small measure of justice when their convictions were vacated. They got a small measure of justice when their convictions were vacated. Uh, she went on to say, quote, but we want to hold government officials accountable for misconduct that led to their wrongful convictions and decades of living with the stigma of being labeled Malcolm X's murderers and decades of the of living with the stigma of being labeled Malcolm X's murderers. Now, settlement talks have proven unsuccessful uh, so far, and uh, Khalil Islam passed away in 2009 at age uh, 74. Now, Mayor, uh, the current uh, New York City Mayor, Eric Adams, African-American mayor, who's a former police captain, uh, in a statement said that the city of New York was reviewing the lawsuits. He also called overturning Muhammad Aziz's uh, and Khalil Islam's, quote unquote, the just outcome, the just outcome. Um, I, I want to go to this other uh, article here that we talked about back in November when we got the news that their convictions were going to be overturned. Uh, this article from Huffington Post. Uh, name of this piece here, Hoover, referring to J. Edgar Hoover, not the vacuum cleaner, J. Edgar Hoover, Hoover hid that some witnesses in Malcolm X assassination trial were FBI informants. Hoover hid that some witnesses in Malcolm X assassination trial were FBI informants. A Manhattan judge exonerated two men convicted of the killing of, the, of Malcolm X after decades of doubt about who was responsible for his 1965 death. So this was an article from the Associated Press picked up by the Huffington Post from November 18, 2021. We talked about this back when their convictions were overturned, okay? Uh, if we look at this here, and hold on, let's get rid of this ad. Okay. Um, all right, now, um, more than half a century after the assassination of uh, Malcolm X. Two of his convicted killers were exonerated Thursday um, after decades of doubt about who was responsible for the civil rights icon's death. Manhattan Judge Ellen Biben, B-I-B-N, dismissed the convictions of Muhammad Aziz and the late Khalil Islam after prosecutors and the men's lawyers said a renewed investigation found new evidence, found new evidence that the men were not involved with the killing and determined that authorities withheld some of what they knew. Now, um, let me, I want to go to this here. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, Muhammad Aziz and Islam, then known as Norman 3X Butler and Thomas, X, uh, Thomas 15X Johnson, and a third man were co convicted of, of uh, murdering Malcolm X in March in 1966. The, uh, they were sentenced to life in prison. Now, uh, it goes and talks about the, okay, the recent investigation found uh, information in FBI files about witnesses 
who could not identify Khalil Islam and implicated other suspects, Manhattan District Attorney Cyrus R. Vance uh, Jr. told the court. So this is what they found out in the investigation that Manhattan District Attorney Cyrus R. Vance opened up. This is why your local prosecutors are so important. This is one of the reasons why local prosecutors are so important. That 22-month investigation found information in FBI files about witnesses who could not identify Khalil Islam and implicated other suspects. Now, the file showed that the late FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover ordered agents to tell witnesses not to reveal that they were FBI informants when talking with police and prosecutors, Manhattan District Attorney Cyrus R. Vance said. Uh, I apologize, you know, J. Edgar, who was probably turned over in his grave also, that this is being exposed and these men were exonerated. Okay. Um, I quote, I apologize for what were serious, unacceptable violations of law and public trust. Cyrus Arvan said, there is one ultimate conclusion. Mr. Aziz and Mr. Islam were wrongfully convicted of this crime. Now, the Innocence Project co-founder Barry Sheck, S-C-H-E-C-K, one of the lawyers for Muhammad Aziz, and uh, for Khalil Islam's family said the review also found that the FBI and police hid New York City police hid evidence from prosecutors, hid evidence from prosecutors as what he called part of a plot to disrupt the black civil rights movement. They withheld evidence. The FBI and the New York City Police Department hid evidence from prosecutors in what uh, Barry Sheck of the Innocence Project called a plot to disrupt the black civil rights movement. This was part of COINTELPRO, the counterintelligence uh, program, okay? So to this day, you still have people who have a disdain and have negative feelings towards the nation of Islam because of this infiltration and manipulation by the FBI and the New York City Police Department in the assassination of Malcolm X and then fingering these two brothers who were totally innocent. Okay, to this day, there's still animosity and disdain towards somewhat, not from everybody, but from some people towards the nation of Islam who may have been followers of Malcolm, things like this, right? Now, also, I think it's important to note that February 26th, 19, uh, February 24th, 1966, um, Dr. King, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. goes to the Honorable Elijah, uh, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad's house for a meeting, okay? And a lot of people may not know about this. Uh, Nation of Islam has information at uh, uh, their website. I, I deal with this in my lectures dealing with uh, Dr. King as well. Okay. It's almost, uh, one day to the, uh, almost to the date of Malcolm's, uh, assassination. Okay. And, uh, the, the, uh, nation of information here. Okay. At their website, uh, NOI.org. And they have an article dealing with, uh, um, Dr. King and they call him, uh, more than just a dreamer or something like that. Let me pull this up. Uh, where is this? Hold on. What's in this coming up? Okay. Okay. Uh, go to uh, this. I want to pull this up right here. 
Yeah, uh, Dr. King, not just a dreamer or something like this. This is at NOI.org, and they show the uh, picture. It's not Photoshop. They show the picture of uh, uh, Dr. King and the Honorable Elijah Muhammad meeting as well, okay? This was uh, February 24th, 1966 in Chicago. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in his first meeting with the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, okay? He goes, Coretta Scott King and, 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 and Dr. King go to Elijah Muhammad's uh, house there in Chicago, and uh, Dr. King meets with Elijah Muhammad. Now, you have forces who try to be interlopers into the African-American community and keep us from talking with one another. Those forces have to be stopped. You're, doing, you're listening to the African History Network show right here on 9, 10 a.m. The Superstation, the Future Radio on Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 9, 10 a.m. The Superstation, the Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotel. It is Sunday, July 17th. 2022 and we are live calling numbers 313-778-7600 313-778-7600 is the calling number if you have a quick question if you have a quick question or comment uh if you want me to do a presentation for your group or organization email me at ahn show at africanhistorynetwork.com ahn show at africanhistorynetwork.com or the ahn show at gmail.com, or you can go to our new website, um, theafricanhistorynetwork.com, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. You can email us through the uh, new, uh, very easy to use website. Okay, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. I'm making updates to it. Also, my DVD lectures are there, digital downloads, and online classes that you can register for. Okay, I want to go back to uh, so right before the break, I was talking about this piece here. Uh, this deals with uh, when Dr. King went to go meet with uh, Elijah Muhammad. Uh, this is at NOI.org. Uh, so you could probably just search for Dr. King, Elijah Muhammad. It'll come up. Okay. Uh, and it talks about that meeting, February 24th, 1966. Um, okay. So check that out. All right. Now. Uh, I want to switch gears. I want to get to this next story, and this deals with, uh, this is the update dealing with uh, Emmett Till. So, you know, last week, last on last Sunday's show, and we posted articles on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, dealing with this. Uh, we talked about the arrest warrant from August 29th, 1955, issued for Carolyn Bryant that was found uh, recently, and it was found by volunteers, and um, it was found by uh, members of Emmett Till's family, okay? Now, they want the arrest warrant to uh, be served, all right? They want the arrest warrant to be served. Um, I want to go to this, uh, we're going to go to here to clip number one here in just a second, Jalen. So, there was a uh, manuscript, a 99-page manuscript, unpublished manuscript, that surfaced uh, this week. An Associated Press was uh, able to read the manuscript. Uh, this manuscript in it, Carolyn Bryant uh, says that she did not want harm to come to uh, Emmett Till, okay? 
Now, there's a couple of articles on this. Uh, Black Enterprise has one. Uh, also, Associated Press has one as well. I want to put, but if we look at this article here from, um, this is from WAPT.com that they picked up from the Associated Press. We're going to clip one in just a second here, Jalen. Uh, Carolyn Bryant says she tried to help Emmett Till, memoir says. Carolyn Bryant says she tried to help Emmett Till, memoir says. Family member of Emmett Till calls for justice. Now, uh, the woman at the center of the 1955 lynching of Emmett Till uh, in Money, Mississippi, denies wanting him killed. The claim comes in a memoir uh, by Carolyn Bryant Dunham that was obtained by the Associated Press, that was obtained by the Associated Press. Okay, in the 99-page uh, manuscript, Carolyn Bryant Dunham says she attempted to help Emmett Till once he had been located by her husband, Roy Bryant, and his brother-in-law, J.W. Millam, and brought and they brought Emmett Till to her for identification. Okay, now she said in the memoir, unpublished memoir, she says she denied that Emmett Till was the youth uh, and she did not want any harm to come to him. Now, the Associated Press, uh, the Associated Press obtained the memoir from a historian. Now, an unserved arrest warrant charging Carolyn Bryant Dunham in Emmett Till's abduction was recently found in, in a Mississippi courthouse basement. The family of Emmett Till continues to call for justice after Emmett Till's uh, kidnapping and torture and lynching August 28, 1955. All right. Uh, I want to go to this clip here from W uh, W uh, A P T. Uh, this is W A P T Channel 16 out of Jackson, Mississippi. Let's go to this clip, please, Jalen. A 99-page memoir recently obtained by the Associated Press, written by Carolyn Bryant Donham. The memoir titled "I Am More Than a Wolf Whistle," claiming that in Money, Mississippi. Back in 1955, when her husband and brother-in-law brought Till before her, she was trying to protect him by telling them he was not Till. The two men went after Till for allegedly whistling at Donham. In that uh, manuscript, I think further just proves uh, that she was involved. Um, whether she denied that she identified Emmett or not, uh, she had some involvement. Uh, Carolyn Bryant is not a victim. Carolyn Bryant was not afraid. Uh, Emmett was afraid. Deborah Watts is the cousin of Emmett Till, also serving as the co-founder and executive director of the Emmett Till Legacy Foundation. She says the family remains consistent in seeking justice. She's culpable, and she's an accessory to what happened to Emmett. And it's unfortunate that no one has held her accountable for her role, and we want that to happen. And just last month, an unserved warrant for Donham was found in the LaFleur County Courthouse in Greenwood, Mississippi, charging her with Till's kidnapping. Watts tells me the hope is to still hear from her beyond the pages of the memoir. We deserve to actually hear her voice and not just read uh, a book. She has a story to tell. She has some admissions that she needs to, be, to say that in front of a judge. Uh, she needs to have that warrant served for her arrest and, and go through the appropriate process that anyone that has not been held accountable for their act in the kidnapping and lynching of Emmett Till. And in the meantime, the family says that they're anxiously waiting to hear from both LaFleur County Sheriff Ricky Banks and the DA of the Fourth Circuit Court District, Dwayne Richardson, on issuing that arrest warrant. Live in studio.
Okay, so that was from uh, that was from WAPT uh, News uh, Channel 16 out of uh, Jackson, Mississippi. Okay, now I, I want to go to this article here from the Associated Press from uh, July 14, 2022. Okay, and uh, we're coming up here on the break, so we'll get to this on the other side of the break. Listen to the African History Network show right here on 9, 10 a.m. Superstation Future Radio. Share this broadcast and social media platforms. Give us a thumbs up. Give us a heart. Give us a like. You can also give us a call. 313-778-7600. 313-778-7600. It's a call in number if you have a question or comment. Listen to the African History Network show. I'm Michael M. Hotep. We'll be back in a few minutes. IDO Network International in collaboration with STL Black Woman. DACA and ACTA present the Royal Pilgrimage to the Americas, August 24th through the 28th. The African kings and queens are coming to you for business, networking, and sharing of Pan-African ideals. The venue will be the illustrious En Arts Hotel in St. Louis, Missouri. A royal cultural experience and exhibitions, trade and investment opportunities in Africa, the Caribbean, and the Americas. A Royal Pan-African Summit hosting keynote speakers and a red carpet banquet. Come and witness our African Royal Coronation Ceremony. Register at www.idonetwork.org to book your ticket to wine and dine with African royalty. Vendor opportunities available. Get face-to-face with the royals who own the land and resources for business. Contact DACA for deal room information at 602-730-4572. Detroit, 9, 10 a.m. Superstation, a division of Adele Media. We got the time. Stand by. Michael and Hotel. Now, we'll deal with a number of different topics here on the After History Network Show. We'll do current events and history and much, much more. We're going to give you an update on what's going on. This is about self-preservation. We have to extinguish the fire of white supremacy. See, let's just have consequences. Catch it all right here on 910 AM Superstation. The views and opinions expressed on any program are those of the producers and or the persons appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of 910 AM Superstation or Adele Media. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on the Antonym Superstation. Okay, it's Sunday, July 17th, uh, 2022. Call in numbers 313-778-7600. 313-778-7600 is the call in number if you have a question or comment. Okay, so right before the break, we we're giving an update uh, in the uh, Emmett Till case and some of the latest developments and a 99-page a manuscript, unpublished manuscript, written by Carolyn Bryant, um, surfaced this past week. And it was obtained by the Associated Press from a historian. Now, the Associated Press has this article here. A Black Enterprise had an article on July 15th that they picked up from the Associated Press from July 14th. Here's the article from the Associated Press. Emmett Till Accuser in memoir denies wanting teen killed. Emmett Till Accuser 
in memoir denies wanting a teen killed. All right. So uh, in this piece here, uh, it says the white woman who accused black teenager Emmett Till of improper making improper advances before he was lynched in Mississippi in 1955 says she neither identified him to the killers nor wanted him murdered says she neither identified him to the killers nor wanted him murdered. Okay. So keep in mind, this is in a, um, this was in a, uh, unpublished, uh, 99 page memoir. Okay. An unpublished 99 page memoir. Now, uh, if we continue here in, um, uh, in an unpublished memoir obtained by the Associated Press, Carolyn Brian Dunham says she was unaware of what would happen uh, to uh, Emmett Till. She was unaware of what would happen to Emmett Till, um, who lived in Chicago and was visiting relatives uh, in Mississippi when he was abducted, killed, and tossed in the Tallahatchie uh, River. Now, she's now 87 years old, Carolyn Bryan Dunham, and she was, on, she was uh, 21 years old at the time. Her then-husband, uh, Roy Bryant and his half brother, uh, J.W. Millen, were acquitted of murder charges, were acquitted of murder charges. Uh, it was a segregated courtroom. It was an all white jury. They later confessed in a magazine interview uh, by Look Magazine. They later confessed in a magazine interview uh, by Look in, in Look Magazine. OK, and they were paid four thousand uh, dollars for for the interview also. All right, now uh, let me try to close this stuff out. They paid four thousand dollars for the interview as well. If you watch Eyes on the Prize, the first installment, they deal with the killing of Emmett Till. Uh, now, Carolyn Bryant Dunham, eighty-seven. Okay, sorry. Uh, the contents of the ninety-nine page manuscript titled "I Am More Than a Wolf Whistle." I am more than a wolf whistle were first reported by the Mississippi Center for Investigative Reporting. Now, historian Timothy Tyson, uh, who we talked about last uh, on last week's show and who could not provide evidence to the, the Department of Justice when they investigated the FBI, that Carolyn Bryant recanted her testimony. Read the 16-page report that we went through last week, okay? The 16-page the Department of Justice report. Now, historian and author Timothy Tyson of Durham, uh, North Carolina, who said he obtained a copy from Carolyn Bryan Dunham while interviewing her in 2008, provided a copy to the Associated Press on, th on Thursday. If you obtain, obtain a copy, see, this is the whole thing with Professor Timothy Tyson. First, he said he did, he did two interviews with her in 2008, he did audio recordings of the interview, and he said in one of those interviews, she recanted her testimony. But he waited until 2017, about a month before his book came out, The Blood of Emmett Till, before he said something about it. Because of that information, that's what caused the Department of Justice to open up a new investigation that they closed in December of 2021. They kept running into dead ends. They can't find evidence to uh, uh, use in court to prosecute Carolyn Bryant Dunham beyond a reasonable doubt and get a conviction. We broke all this stuff down last week. Now he says 
he th- this past week. Now, see, this some BS right here. Okay, now this past week, he comes out with a a ninety nine page unpublished manuscript that he said he got in two thousand eight, and you're just now saying something about. It. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's what you want to do. Okay. Historian and author Timothy Tyson, who said he obtained a copy from Carolyn Brian Dunham while interviewing her in 2008, provided a copy to the Associated Press on Thursday. What the hell did you wait for? Why did you wait so long to say something about this? Tyson had placed the manuscript in an archive at the University of North Carolina with the agreement that it not be made public for decades. Though he said he gave it to the FBI during an investigation, the agency concluded last year. He said he decided to make it public now following the recent discovery of an arrest warrant on kidnapping charges that was issued for Carolyn Bryant Dunham in 1955, but never served. Maybe if you had said something back in 2008, when I think maybe there was still some witnesses alive in 2008, he brought to justice. Quote, the potential for an investigation was more important than the archival agreements, though those are important things, Professor Timothy Tyson said. When, when, so when you come to this like moral uh, uh real is this epiphany when did you come to this epiphany did, did it have anything to do with like the resurfacing of the fact that uh i don't know the case was closed and you can provide evidence that you claim that you had that she recanted her testimony did it have anything to do with the show i did last sunday i'm, I'm just wondering i don't know well, I went through the 16-page Department of Justice report again. And, and the Department of Justice, the FBI said, you gave us one recording, and this recording did not uh, 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 contain a recantation of her testimony. And then the Department of Justice in there, in their report, they said that he kept giving different explanations about what happened to the second recording and he kept giving different explanations about whether she ever recanted her testimony in the first place. Now, all of a sudden, you come out, you produce a 99-page unpublished manuscript that she gave you back in 2008. This is some fragonacle bull right here. Tyson's, so th- th- he said the potential for an investigation was more important than the archival agreements, though those are important things. He said, but this is probably the last chance for an indictment in this case. You, you, you think maybe you should have said something before all the witnesses had? I'm just, I'm just, I don't have a law degree. I studied law. I, I mean, I'm just thinking. You, you think maybe you should have said something before all the witnesses died? A cousin of Emmett Till who leads the, this is Deborah Watts, a cousin of Emmett Till who leads the Emmett Till Legacy Foundation said the memoir is new evidence that shows Carolyn Bryan Dunham's involvement in the case and is particularly important when combined with the arrest warrant. 
She said, I truly believe these developments cannot be ignored by the authorities in Mississippi. They're going to ignore it. Attorney General is. We have to see what LaFleur County, the local district attorney, is going to do. The, 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 the Mississippi State Attorney General, I mean, people, this is Mississippi. Mississippi had the, the largest number of lynchings in this country from 1882 to 1968. They had 581 lynchings. This is Mississippi. Mississippi, this is where Goodman, Schwartz, and Cheney were lynched June 21st, 1964. This is, this is where uh, Fannie Lou Hamer was from. And was beaten in jail, pulled off of pulled off of a bus, and beaten so badly she was in a hospital for thirty days. This is Mississippi. Mississippi. This is this is the state that had the Mississippi State Convention in eighteen ninety, where they rewrote the state constitution to impose poll taxes and literacy tests. So I expect the uh, the good old boy, uh, uh, the uh, uh, state's attorney general, not to do anything. That's to be expected. I don't I don't expect the local uh, uh, district attorney to do anything either. Why? This is Mississippi. First of all, you need like real, we are your witnesses? This is, this is what we talked about last class, uh, last night class, last week. You, you go to court, we are your witnesses? This is one of the problems. This is why maybe if Professor Timothy Tyson had produced this 99-page unpublished memoir, maybe back in 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013, maybe before, maybe there were still some witnesses alive. So you could corroborate evidence and maybe bring about charges. In the memoir, Carolyn Bryan Dunham says she attempted to help Emmett Till once he had been located by her husband and brother-in-law and brought to her in the middle of the night for identification. She said, quote, I did not wish Emmett any harm and could not stop and could not stop harm from me to him since I didn't know what was planned for him, since I did not know what was planned for him. Okay, now, here's the thing. Now, because all the witnesses are dead, even if they bring charges against her, what stops her from saying, just following along with this right here in an unpublished, unpublished manuscript, I don't know the year that this manuscript was written, but this was obtained in 2008 by Professor Timothy Tyson. What stops her from saying, hey, I didn't know what was going to happen to him, my husband threatened me. He was going to beat me or do harm to me, whatever. I said it wasn't him. All the witnesses are dead. Now, here's the thing. Even if she's lying, guess what? The burden of proof is on the prosecution. The prosecution, which would be the Department of Justice, they have to then prove in court that she's lying. If she says this was happened, the burden of proof is not on her. It's on the prosecution. They have to prove she's lying. And not only that, when you go look at um, the interview that J.W. Millam and Roy Bryant did in Look Magazine after they were acquitted of killing Emmett Till, in that interview, I think it was Roy Bryant, her husband, he said something to the effect of they just wanted to, they just wanted to scare Emmett Till. But Emmett Till said something to them and not, it wasn't Emmett Till's fault, okay? But he said, Emmett Till said something to him and he looked at him and said, something to the effect of boy you're not going to see your mother again something like that okay so in the interview with look magazine l-o-o-k look magazine basically they said they just want to scare him so she she would go into court and say hey i didn't know what was going to happen my husband i didn't want to do it my husband threatened me he's dead brother-in-law's dead where's the evidence to prove her wrong this is why 
see what makes this a tricky case is the witnesses are going she can go in and tell that story now it's up to the prosecution to prove her wrong based upon the evidence prove she's lying now carolyn brian dunham says in the manuscript compiled by her daughter-in-law quote i tried to protect him by telling roy her husband that he's not the one that's not him please take him home she claims in the manuscript that emmett teal who had been dragged from a family home at gunpoint in the middle of the night spoke up and identified himself okay she so, so this is what she claims okay now if they admit this in the court the prosecution has to prove that she's lying the burden of proof is on the prosecution it's not on her carolyn brian dunham adds that she always felt like a victim always felt like a victim as well as emmett she adds she always felt like a victim as well as emmett and paid dearly with an altered life for what happened she so she's making herself the victim okay we'll, we'll continue this on the other side of the break i want you to hear clip number two also out of i think it's out of jackson mississippi you listen to the african history network show right here on that 10 a.m superstation future radio i'm your host brother michael m hotel we'll be back in a few minutes welcome back to the african history network show right here on 9 10 a.m the superstation the future radio all right you can support the african history network dollar sign the ahn show through cash app dollar sign the ahn show through cash app also through paypal paypal.me forward slash the ahn show the Celsius keep doing the research stay stay on the air keep broadcasting pay some of the bills uh you know we're just doing the show once a week now sundays 9 p.m 11 p.m eastern standard time uh, a couple months ago i stopped doing it daily because it was just uh, a lot of work and uh was putting a financial strain on us as well so we're just doing it on sundays 9 p.m to 11 p.m eastern standard time okay i want to go back to um this associated press article and um you know this this story gets after what 67 years of story new information still coming out it gets crazier and crazier um if we go back to this associated press article from thursday july 14th emmett till accuser in memoir denies wanting teen killed unpublished memoir we're going to clip number three from abc's channel 7 chicago in just a minute here Jalen. Okay, so Carolyn Brian Dunham adds that she always felt like a victim as well as Emmett and paid dearly, dearly after, de paid dearly with an altered life for what happened. Now, the name of the unpublished memoir is um, I Am More Than Just a Wolf Whistle. That's the name of the unpublished uh, memoir. I Am More Than Just a Wolf Whistle. And it's a good article from uh, Black Enterprise on this. We'll show you that here in just a minute. Okay, I've all she said. Okay, so now she wants to bring God into it. Um, she said, I, "I've all I have always prayed that God would bless Emmett's family. I am truly sorry for the pain his family was caused." Uh, she says at the end of the manuscript, which which is signed Ken but indicates that it was written by her daughter-in-law, Marsha Bryant, written by her daughter-in-law, uh, Marsha Bryant. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Uh, the memoir is remarkable, not only because it is 
um, the most extensive account of this new episode ever recorded by Carolyn Brian Dunham, but also because it contains contradictions, but also because it contains contradictions that raise questions about her truthfulness through the years, said Dale Killinger, a retired FBI agent investigated the case more than 15 years ago. So that would be the 2004 FBI investigation, okay? The 2004 uh, FBI investigation. Okay, now, for instance, Carolyn Brian Dunham claims in the memoir to have yelled for help after being confronted by Emmett Till inside the family grocery store in Money, Mississippi. Yet no one ever reported hearing her screams, a retired FBI agent uh, Killinger said, okay, Dale Killinger, Killinger. Yet no one ever reported hearing her screams. Also, Carolyn Brian Dunham never previously mentioned that she and Roy Bryant, her husband, chatted about abduction. In the manuscript, she says they did. Okay, now here's the thing. Um, the manuscript is not testimony, meaning that the manuscript was not done under oath. So she can lie in the manuscript, okay? She can lie in the manuscript. The problem is if she lies under oath in an FBI investigation. She can say whatever she wants to say in the manuscript. Now, if they bring the manuscript in the court, then, and she testified, and she's, if they prosecute her and they bring the manuscript in the court, she's testifying under oath. So if she testifies under oath truthfully and contradicts the manuscript, okay, now you have to prove that she's lying. So the manuscript, so some people may call the manuscript a confession, but it's not under oath. So she can go in court and say something entirely different. And it's up to the prosecution to prove that she's lying under oath. If she goes in and contradicts the manuscript, the manuscript is not under oath. She can say whatever she wants to in the manuscript. All right. So um, also Carolyn Brian Dunham never previously mentioned that she and Roy Bryant chatted about the abduction in the manuscript. She says, that they did chat about the abduction. Now, Dale Killinger, retired FBI agent who investigated uh, this case in 2004, he said, that seems ludicrous. How would you have a major event in your life and not talk about it? I mean, her husband was put on trial. You, you didn't talk about it at all? Now, the Justice Department closed its most recent investigation into the case in December of 2021, and Mississippi authorities have not given any indication that they plan to pursue the kidnapping warrant. Mississippi authorities have not given any, any indication that they plan to pursue the kidnapping warrants or other charges against Carolyn Bryant Dunham. Once again, it's Mississippi. Okay. When they had the Mississippi State Convention in 1890 and Solomon Saladin Calhoun said, we are here to exclude the Negro. And he was the white county judge who presided over the convention in this convention rewrote uh, the 
um, state constitution. This convention rewrote the state constitution of Mississippi and imposed poll taxes and uh, uh, literacy tests and became known as the Mississippi plan. And this was the uh, uh, model that was used by other Southern states to rewrite their state constitutions and suppress the African-American vote. We read this all here from Washington Post. We've talked about it a number of times. Uh, the Mississippi plan, let's pull this up here. Uh, the Mississippi plan uh, to keep blacks from voting in 1890, we came here to exclude the Negro. We came here to exclude the Negro. This is from uh, Ronald G. Schaefer, May 1st, uh, 2021. The convention's president, Solomon Saladin Calhoun, a white county judge, put the voting issue bluntly. Quote, let's tell the truth if it bursts the bottom of the universe. He said, we came here to exclude the Negro. Nothing short of this will answer. Delegates in the Mississippi State Convention eventually adopted a literacy test and poll tax geared to suppress the black vote in a state with a black majority. In a state with a black majority, the Mississippi plan became the model throughout the South, part of a raft of racially oppressive Jim Crow laws that ended Reconstruction. Once again, this is Mississippi. Um, okay, I, I want to go to clip number two here. This is from um, ABC Channel 7, Chicago. Uh, this clip here, Emmett Till accuser, Carolyn Bryant Dunham denies wanting teen killed in 1955 lynching uh, memoir. Let's go to clip two, uh, Jaylee. The investigative report is out on the school massacre in Uvalde, Texas, that left 19 uh, refresh, children and two teachers screen. dead. The Jaylen, committee Jaylen. laying out what they call systemic. Yeah, refresh that screen, and it should go to. Um, it should go back to the first video. Um, that's from ABC Channel Seven, Chicago. If you refresh that screen, it should go back to uh, the first video. It should go back to the first video. Okay, uh, just let me know when you have it uh, queued up. I'm gonna pull up this article here from uh, ABC Channel 7 Chicago also. You may just have to refresh the screen a couple of times or something like to that. the woman okay, whose accusation led to the death of Emmett Till wrote that she actually tried to protect the team. In an unpublished memoir obtained by the Associated Press, Carolyn Bryant Donham said that she did not identify Till to the people who killed him. The black Chicago team was landed in Mississippi in 1955. Donham accused him of making improper advances. Historians are disputing Donham's claim that Till identified himself to his killers. Two big white men with guns came and dragged him out of his aunt and great uncle's house at two o'clock in the morning in the Mississippi Delta in 1955. I do not believe for one minute that he identified himself. Donna's then husband and half brother were acquitted of murder charges, but they later confessed in a magazine interview. Okay, so that person you heard talking, talking about, uh, I don't believe for one minute that he confessed. That was 
historian Timothy Tyson, who released this past week the unpublished manuscript that he's had since 2008, and he released it this past week. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, all right. We're coming up here on the break. Uh, when we come back from the break, we'll, we'll continue this uh, uh, story uh, some more. I'm going to go back to the. Uh, I'm going to go back to the article from uh, the Associated Press, and then I'm going to get to this other story here. And this deals with the. Uh, we'll get to the squeezing that story dealing with the Border Patrol and the Haitians and the new uh, report that came out, 511 page report. Uh, and then also we're going to get to uh, the information, uh, uh, the segment from Roland Martin, the filtered. Okay. Listen to the African History Network show. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on that 10 a.m. Superstation, the future radio. Okay. Uh, I want to switch gears here. I want to go to uh, this story that we ran out of time um, to discuss on last Sunday's show. And this deals with a uh, follow-up to the uh, Border Patrol uh, disaster there in Del Rio, Texas, um, in September of 2021, okay? And we saw the uh, images of the Haitian migrants trying to uh, come into the country, uh, there was a, so, so we were going to talk about this last Sunday. We ran out of time and we were going to actually talk about it last Friday, uh, Friday before last on Roland Martin, the filter. We ran out of time, uh, for this story. I actually, uh, brought this story up to, uh, Roland's producer and they said we want to cover it, but we ran out of time. Border patrol agents did not strike their real Migrants report fines. Border Patrol agents did not strike their real migrants uh, report fines. Now, this is from July 8th, uh, 2022. July 8th, 2022. Okay. The person who took all these images that people are circulating around, okay, is Paul Ratjay, P A U L R E T J E. As I said before, as we reported on this show before, he was actually there. He was on the um, Mexican side um, of the border uh, taking pictures and filming. And he said he did not see any of the um, agents strike the uh, Haitians with uh, their long reins, their long reins. They didn't have whips. They had long reins. The report breaks all this stuff down. Yes, they were mistreated, but they, they were not whipped or strapped with the long range. And this is what I said before here on this show, citing other information. The Border Patrol agents on horseback who confronted Haitian families last September, September 2021, along the riverbanks in Del Rio, Texas, uh, did not strike uh, migrants, did not strike migrants uh, with their reins, but used unnecessary force. But they did use unnecessary force and lacked uh, proper guidance from supervisors, according to a long-anticipated internal 
report released on Friday. So this was uh, Friday, uh, July 8th. And I said when this happened, I said on this show and on Roland Martin Unfiltered, I said you need a um, – I said you're going to need a extensive investigation into actually what happened to determine what happened, what policies need to be changed, how do you keep this from happening again. Now, widely circulated images of – the incident along the Rio Grande showed U.S. agents swinging reins and screaming obscenities while briefly trying to block families bringing food to a sprawling, chaotic camp where 15,000 migrants arrived requesting entry to the United States. Now, photos and uh, video of the confrontation brought angry condemnations condemnation from President Joe Biden and Democrats who said agents had whipped the migrants, likening the scene to the brutal imagery of American slavery. President Joe Biden said the migrants had been strapped and punishment would be meted out following a swift inquiry. Now, when this report came out, Biden then had to backtrack and admit the, the uh, 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 migrants were not strapped or whipped by the agents. New York Post had an article about that. For, I'm, I'm telling you right now, Fox News and conservative media is having a field day with this. This was, this was what I was warning about back in September, because I'm like, wait a second, hold on. Because I'm going through looking at all the information. I'm like, it's, it's, it, hold on, we got to be, we have to make sure that we're not stating things we don't have evidence to prove. Okay. And if you go back, I talked about this here on this show. Because I look, I monitor about 35 different news sources on a daily basis, and we deal with information. We try to we look at both sides of this, and both sides of the story, and we try to bring as much factual information as possible. This is an article I talked about here on this show back September 23rd, 2021, from townhall.com. Townhall.com. Border Patrol Union blasts White House's decision to suspend horse unit border patrol union blast white house white house's decision to suspend horse unit following fake news about whips now this is a conservative uh publication they've been joanne reed had to backtrack on her statements uh president joe biden uh some of the people on msnbc had to backtrack all right and fox news had been hammering MSNBC on misreporting this story. Here's something that's very important. The, you go and you look at what the uh, the source within the Border Patrol. Okay, oh, this is what they said. This is from September 23rd, 2021. They were calling this out back then. Now the now the 511 page report corroborates what conservative media was saying back then. And I hate Fox News. But even a broken clock is right twice a day. The White House and Department of Homeland Security announced on Thursday, and this is back September 2021, Border Patrol's horse unit will no longer be operating in Del Rio, Texas, after they, after they were falsely accused of using whips against Haitians who were illegally crossing the U.S.-Mexican border. Now, the agents at the center of the scandal have been placed on administrative duties while an investigation is underway. Okay. Um, 
let's see here. Okay, DHS, okay, Alejandro Mayorkas, DHS Secretary, Department of Homeland Security. Misleading photos. This is from September 23rd, 2021. Misleading photos of agents on horseback attempting to prevent people from illegally crossing into the United States caused outrage after the reins used to control the horses were falsely called whips. After the reins used to control the horses were falsely called whips uh, by members of media and Democrats, by members of media and Democrats. A source within Border Patrol previously explained to townhall.com what people got wrong about the incident. Quote, agents use their reins for a lot of reasons. Primarily, it's used to steer the horse, but agents will spin them, spin the reins around, sometimes to deter people from getting too close to the horse. If they get too close, the horse can step up on them, breaking bones or causing injuries. Now, if they, if they got too close to the horse and spooked the horse, they got stomped on and killed, then that'd be playing all throughout the media as well. Okay, so this is a source from Border Patrol explaining procedure. Now, cussing at them and things like that, they, they, they shouldn't do that because the report says there was wrongdoing, there was wrong behavior. Okay, whipping them with the long range is not one of them. This is why people in the media had to backtrack statements that they made. Agents also need to maintain control of their reins so they don't lose control of the horse, which can cause injuries to, to immigrants, the agents and the horses. We are not aware of anyone being struck with the reins. Now, this is from September 23rd, 2021. Now, John Anfison, president of the Border Patrol's local 2366 in Del Rio, Texas, told townhall.com back in September, this, I guess this article is from September 22nd, 2021, back September 2021, when this article came out, reported this to you here on this show back then. He told townhall.com it is detrimental for border security to suspend the whole unit, the, 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 the uh, horseback unit, even if it's just for a short amount of time. He said, quote, we are told that the horse patrol unit has been suspended from operating in Del Rio sector, Del Rio, Texas sector, only during the remainder of the crisis under the bridge. The horse patrol unit is an effective means of apprehending immigrants who illegally cross our borders every day, along with searching for those who are sick or injured and stranded in the bush because a lot of the areas they go into is not conducive for vehicles to go into. So the people who were saying, oh, they should stop using the horses, things like this, they ain't telling them what to do to go and rescue people who are stranded in the bush. See, so there's a lot of people saying, oh, they need to stop doing that, but they ain't telling them what to do because they didn't even investigate, like to find out the procedures and why they do these things, why they use horsebacks, why, why they're on horseback. Quote, suspending them all for even a brief amount of time takes away one of the few remaining units that have been in the field making arrests and rescues, arrests and rescues on a regular basis. When the rest of our agents are indoors processing, because they got to process the people who are coming through seeking international political asylum. 
Okay, they don't just let them all and just say, go, just go, go where you want to go. No, they have to be processed. That takes manpower and woman power. When the rest of our agents are indoors processing, unable to make arrests and rescues of their own, we should be using all the resources we have to patrol the border. Okay, read the rest of this year because we dealt with this back September, September. Uh, 2020, September 23rd, 2021, when this article came out, let's see, what is this? September 23rd, 2021. We've dealt with this on this show. Okay. We don't just deal with this popular stuff floating around. We get, get dig deep to try to get you the accurate information. Okay. So read this uh, article here from townhall.com because very few people talked about the uh, border patrol, uh, what the border patrol union uh, was saying. Okay, Border Patrol Union blasts White House's decision to suspend horse unit following fake news about whips. Okay, so then you go and uh, we go back to this article here from the Washington Post. We're coming up on a on a break here. Um, you go back to the article from the Washington Post. It talks about the 500 page, 511 page report. After nearly nine months, the Office of Professional Responsibility at U.S. Customs and Border Protection which functions as the agency's internal affairs division, determined in a 511-page report, I encourage you to read it, that no migrants that no migrants were struck or denied their legal right to seek asylum because they were allowed to um, seek asylum eventually. They were allowed to seek political asylum. Now, 90% of the people who seek political asylum are denied it, but you still have a right to seek political asylum. Okay, in the United States, but the report found that agents used unnecessary force in their decision to assist Texas state troopers attempted to block the migrants was in conflict with the Border Patrol's objectives. The internal report found failures at multiple levels of the agency, a lack of appropriate policies and training, and unprofessional and dangerous behavior by several individual agents. Uh, Customs and Border Patrol said in the statement. Uh, we'll continue this on the other side of break. Listen to the African History Network show on Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. And bye. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on the Antinam Superstation, the future radio. Okay, um, so this uh, read this article also. We talked about this when it came out back in uh, September uh, as well, September 2021. Uh, this is from uh, W, uh, this is from KTSM uh, Channel 9 uh, in El Paso, Texas. Uh, photographer behind controversy let me pull this up here just a second uh photographer behind controversial photos speaks exclusively to ktsm that was uh paul ratjay uh and uh, he uh, said as i stated before um he said that uh, he was on the mexican side of the border he was the one who took the pictures there by circulated around and shot video okay and um he said that um I never seen them whip anyone, Paul Ratje said. He said he was swinging it, but it can be misconstrued when you're looking at the picture, okay? He said that he didn't see uh, any of the Border Patrol agents hitting with the, the um, Haitians with the, uh, with the long reins. Read this full article here. This was We talked about this here on this show back when this came out. This is from September 23rd, 2021. All right, we got to switch gears. Oh, also, 
something else that very few people talked about, but we talked about here on this show as well. The Haitian migrants are suing the uh, U.S. government. This is New York Times. Uh, this article is from uh, December 20th, 2021. When this news came out, we talked about this here on this show. Very few people talked about this. Haitian migrants filed lawsuit protesting treatment by Border Patrol. Images of Border Patrol agents corralling black migrants prompted criticism of the Biden administration. Biden administration's response to the influx of thousands in Del Rio, Texas. Okay. The U.S. government gets sued every day. Okay. They file a lawsuit just like uh, people coming through the southern border, uh, Mexicans uh, under uh, Mexicans and people from other countries, Guatemala, things like this, under the Trump administration, when they you had the images at the southern southern border, they filed a lawsuit under the Trump administration as well. Okay, and they got settlements of up to one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. U.S. government gets sued every day. Okay, so read this article also. Um, uh, we got to switch gears here. I want to go to. We're going to clip number four, Jalen. The second clip from Roland Martin Unfiltered, okay? We're going to clip number four. So I was on Roland Martin Unfiltered on uh, Friday, and we dealt with uh, the uh, House of Representatives passed two bills dealing with uh, abortion, protecting uh, abortion rights, okay? Uh, I want to go to this uh, uh, clip right here. We're going to start that at the 2417 mark. Okay, let's go to this clip, please, Jalen. The House has voted to restore abortion access nationwide. The Democrats' first major response to the Supreme Court's landmark decision overturning the constitutional right to an abortion wrote the wave. The House bill approved Friday has little chance of becoming law with necessary support lacking in the 50-50 Senate unless Senators Kristen Sinema and Joe Manchin of Arizona choose to end the filibuster. But the vote marks the beginning of a new era in the abortion debate as lawmakers, governors, and State legislatures grapple with the impact of a Supreme Court decision. There was a news conference before the vote where several members of Congress, including House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, spoke about the importance of continuing this right for reproductive rights for women. Their action to defend women's reproductive freedom. Today, the House will pass landmark bills, our Women's Health Protection Act, to make the essential protections of Roe the law of the land. Thank you to Congresswoman Judy Chu for leading us in passing this bill today for the second time, this Congress. Our Assuring Women's Right to Reproductive Freedom Act will protect women who exercise their right to travel across state lines to get abortion care. Let us salute Congresswoman Lizzie Fletcher and Congresswoman Marilyn Strickland uh, for the, their authorship of this, along with Jamie Raskin, who was part of it. But we must ensure that the American people remember in November, because with two more Democratic senators, we will be able to eliminate the filibuster when it comes to a woman's right to choose and to make reproductive freedom the law of the land. Yes. The reality is that an increasing number of women are now forced to carry an unwanted pregnancy against their will even in the cases of rape or incest, or travel hundreds of miles just to safely receive reproductive health care. We cannot force people to give birth. Worse, those who are forced to carry out an unwanted pregnancy are in the nation with one of the worst maternal mortality rates in the developed world. Taking away federal protections for abortion hits black women, women of color, indigenous women, low-income women, 
LGBTQ plus women and women with disabilities the hardest, disproportionately. This is about health care justice. This is about social justice. This is about economic justice. Ripping away our right to safe and legal abortion is yet another way to control us. This is not about choice for them. This is about control. Controlling our bodies, policing our bodies, and controlling us. And make no mistake, we will do everything in our power to make sure it does not happen, not on our watch. Thank you. Congresswoman Barbara Lee, who has been open about her uh, decision to actually have an abortion, spoke on the floor of the United States House. Last month's Supreme Court decision is having devastating impacts across the country. Now, I remember the days before Roe, and now that the court has ended Roe, we are truly in a state of na a national health emergency. Abortion bans affect everyone, but their impact falls hardest on folks who face serious barriers to care, who already have these barriers presented because of the lack of equity in our health care systems. Women of color, people working to make ends meet, rural people, young people. Uh, it's terrifying now that people could be criminalized for exercising their own personal health care decisions. That is wrong. It's morally wrong. Already across this country, people are unable to get the care and denied the freedom to make their own decisions about their health and about their futures. Our personal liberties and our freedoms are being taken away taken away. This is just another step in the erosion of our democracy. It's never been more critical than now that we pass legislation to protect the right to access abortion and ensure that abortions and comprehensive reproductive health care are accessible and available for all. Thank you, and I yield. Again, that was uh, Congresswoman Barbara Lee. There's been a discussion and debate all week, uh, actually, in um, Congress about this very issue. There have been various uh, hearings taking place. There have been various uh, discussions on Capitol Hill. Some of them have really been uh, laughable uh, when you listen to uh, some of the um, discussions that have taken place. Uh, in, in fact, one of them uh, was with, with Ayanna Presley. Uh, and she was actually having this conversation with uh, the wife of Josh Howley. Josh Howley, of course, uh, is the right-wing senator from Missouri. Uh, and the back and forth was, was really laughable. Uh, I'm going to pull it up for you because you need to really understand uh, just uh, the type of, of craziness that, that goes on. And so it was Aaron Morrow Howley. She is with the Alliance Defending Freedom. Uh, and they were, <laughs> again, if you just want to just listen to how crazy this is, watch this. Listen to this conversation. What are the chances that it can be carried to term? My, under my understanding is that when an ectopic pregnancy ruptures is a life-threatening condition, that's why the treatment for an ectopic pregnancy is Excuse not me. an abortion. I'm sorry, sorry, reclaiming my time here. Again, could you just answer the question? When an ectopic pregnancy ruptures, what are the chances that it can be safely carried to term? And, and you know what, just to make this even clearer, I'm looking for a number between zero to 100. Can you give me a, a percentage? 
Sure, I believe zero ectopic pregnancies, even those that do not rupture, have a chance of uh, uh, successfully being carried to term. That's why the treatment for them is not an abortion. Reclaiming my time. Uh, it seems that there is a deficit in your understanding of reproductive health. Uh, in fact, I want the record to reflect that according to the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, treatment for ectopic pregnancy requires ending a non-viable pregnancy. Now, let's turn... That, with respect, ma'am, that's not an abortion. This is my time. You, I asked you the question, you answered, and I'm now providing you with the accurate information from medical experts. My question was, when an ectopic pregnancy ruptures, what are the chances it can be safely carried to term? The answer is 0%. I answered that correctly, Further, when it comes to one's accurate understanding of reproductive health and abortion care with an ectopic pregnancy, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists says, quote, treatment for ectopic pregnancy requires ending a non-viable pregnancy, this is my time, end quote. That is so now I'm going to turn to the real experts that's not and an we'll, abortion because now it does I'm not have to the intent to end the life of a child. Reclaiming you had this back and forth. Uh, my panel, Kelly Bethea, uh, communication strategist, uh, glad to have you on the show. Uh, we also have Matt Manning, civil rights attorney, also Mike Imhotep, African History Network. Glad to have all three of you here. Um, Michael, you have the... the Attorney General of Indiana, mm -hmm. um, who actually said that uh, he is looking for the doctor who performed this procedure on this 10-year-old. Um, mm -hmm. This is the Attorney General who has been going on um, television, holding, doing interviews, stating that um, she broke the law because she did not report uh, information. Well, this is interesting. Uh, the doctor and her lawyers are firing back, saying yes. that they, they, have, they have sent a... Come on, y'all, show it, please. Come on. They are, that they are showing a... Uh, they, they, want, they, have sent, they have sent him a cease and desist, saying that he is making false and misleading statements because she has documentation showing that she actually reported that. I saw another tweet where they were talking with um, the, with another group where they made two referrals for 11-year-olds who had also been raped uh, to have abortions. And what there used to be, there used to be on the Republican side, uh, a number of people where they, if they did oppose abortion, they had, they had exceptions for rape and incest. But most of these bills today, there are no exceptions. You literally have one guy, um, one, I, I can't even think of his name, where he has said, oh, yes, uh, the 10-year-olds should carry these babies to term because they'll understand the importance and the value uh, of that life. You cannot convince me. You cannot convince me that if any of their daughters who were 10 
got raped by a criminal or a gang member, that they will be saying, oh, sure, have the baby. Or by a black man. Uh, you know, uh, Roland, um, Republicans have opened up a can of political whoop-ass that is exploding in their face. And now that they're trying, they're trying to backtrack. Now, you, you look at Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan had to delete his tweet. He called the story of the 10-year-old who was the, a rape victim, okay? He called that story a lie. He had to delete that. You look at the Washington Post, record shows Indiana doctor fulfilled duty to report 10-year-old's abortion. So now Attorney General Todd uh, Rokita of Indiana has to backtrack. Um, um, the doctor's uh, attorney was on um, MSNBC Today, Nicole Wallace's show, explaining uh, the cease and desist order, explaining how the doctor followed the law every step of the way. And, you know, what this reminds me of, Roland, I, I hate to take it here, this reminds me of slavery when African women did not have autonomy over their bodies and were raped and had to carry the, the rapist baby and things like this, did not, did not have autonomy over uh, their bodies. And now you have a lot of old white men and some white women like Aaron Hawley, and I know Kelly said uh, Aaron Hawley sounds stupid. If Aaron Hawley is married to dumbass Josh Hawley, she is stupid. I'm telling you right now, she is stupid. But now you have this same thing expanded where white women, not just African-American women who, who die uh, from childbirth, three who are three times more likely to die during childbirth uh, than white women, but now you have white women who don't have autonomy over their bodies. So this is, as I said last Friday, I said there are going to be more stories that come out week after week. This is going to mm. galvanize uh, the 2022 midterm elections. This is going to, uh, and, and Democrats have to tap into this anger um, and, and, and um, maintain the House, expand the um, margin in the House, and maintain the Senate, expand the margin in the Senate. But yeah, brother, this is serious. These are some crazy people. Jim Jordan, you spoke of Congressman Jim Jordan of Ohio. He was on mm -hmm. Newsmax, right-wing Newsmax. And listen to the um, lack of courage uh, that he displayed in this conversation. This child, should they have this option? Should they be forced to carry out this child? Should they have this option? In the state of Ohio, sir, where do you fall on that? Well, th th this is a question. This is straight on the Supreme Court, uh, Supreme Court's decision. This is the question that the legislatures in the respective states will answer. I'm as pro-life as you can be. We want to protect the unborn children's life. But th you're, in this situation, you're talking about a you're talking about a 10-year-old. But that is a question for legislatures in the respective states. That's exactly how, uh, what the Dobbs decision said, and that's where the the people's representatives should make that decision in our state legislatures. Well, I appreciate the time, Congress. Should they be forced to carry out this child? Should they have Oh, this so option? you got an opinion on everything else, but now you don't want to answer this question, Kelly. And my thing is, he should have had that kind of response for everything up until this decision, because it's none of his business what a person capable of pregnancy does with their body. It is no one's business except that person and the doctor treating that person. So for me, it's, <laughs> again, I'm, I'm trying to sound 
thoughtful and coherent, but I'm really just angry right now at the fact that, like Michael said, this is a semblance of slavery. And for the first time in, I don't know, history, white women know what slavery feels like right now. And there's still many of them are oblivious to it and are ascribing to the doctrine of, you know, you know, carte blanche, no abortion across the board. It, it, it's just a, sem it, oh, geez, it makes no sense. And it's not supposed to make sense. And what's even worse is those who have the money and the means and the resources will never be without access to abortion. So this is really just focused on those who don't have the resources. That's mainly Black people, other marginalized communities, LGBT uh, plus communities. And it's just, it's not fair. It's not right. And it's more than about your right to, you know, reproductive rights. This is about your right to privacy, which is really one of the fundamental principles of the Constitution. Like, that is one of the main reasons we have this thing called a country. And I say that loosely right now, because I don't know where we're going with it. So, again, like, everybody who is on this pro-life, and I use that term loosely, too, they just sound stupid, because there's no rational reason for this outside of the fact that you need to be in control of something outside of yourself. I'm Superstation WFDF. You can watch that in its entirety. Go to Roland Martin on Facebook and YouTube. That is from Friday, July 15, 2022. Uh, be sure to, if you want me to do a presentation for your group or organization, email me at show at africanhistorynetwork.com, show at africanhistorynetwork.com. Or you can call us 313-462-0003, 313-462-0003. Uh, be sure to visit our new website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. Some of you heard me call in the Reverend Al Sharpton show um, a couple of days ago or so and uh, blew him away with my information. So he says he wants me to do a segment on his show once a week. So uh, his producer took my information. So you may hear me on his show once a week also. So look out for that as well. Um, right now, it's correct. Wrong behavior is not over till we win. We're kind of forever. And we'll talk to you next time. Peace. The work that I do is larger than the fashion industry. It's larger than the art world. And I believe that I was born to bring newness into this world. I'm Kaima McIntyre. I'm 24 years old and I'm an artist. I create everything from paintings to jewelry design, metaphysical jewelry to be specific, and fashion design. The only reason why my prom dress went viral is because people needed it. Within a few days of going viral, Notori Naughton reached out to me. She's like, I saw your dress, can you make me a dress? I was equally as shocked to be asked by a celebrity to design their dress at the age of 17. That's just one person and the list just continues to go on to Janet Jackson, to Tyra Banks. It really hits home. That means that the discussion is happening on the grounds in real time. Ido Network International, in collaboration with STL Black Woman, DACA, and ACTA, present the Royal Pilgrimage to the Americas, 
August 24th through the 28th. The African kings and queens are coming to you for business, networking, and sharing of Pan-African ideals. The venue will be the illustrious En Garde Arts Hotel in St. Louis, Missouri. A royal cultural experience and exhibitions, trade and investment opportunities in Africa, the Caribbean, and the Americas. A royal Pan-African summit hosting keynote speakers and a red carpet banquet. Come and witness our African royal coronation ceremony. Register at www.idonetwork.org to book your ticket to wine and dine with African royalty. Vendor opportunities available. Get face-to-face -face with the royals who own the land and resources for business. Contact DACA for deal room information at 602-730-4572. iRedify is a black-owned digital platform that showcases black and brown cultures and people. The books on the platform are written by African-American authors, Afro-Caribbean authors, African authors, and so much more. Kids 14 and under can read e-books, listen to audiobooks, and complete learning activities. Kids can even write in the books digitally. Get unlimited access to everything on the platform for only $8.99 a month at iRedify.com. Sign up for your membership today. What does self-care mean to you? To us, it's an opportunity to reconnect with nature. A chance to create something remarkable. At Sage and Elm Apothecary, our handcrafted skin care and household products immerse you in Earth's sweetest nectar, connecting you to nature in a way you never imagined. See for yourself and visit us at sageandelmapothecary.com. STEM Forward, helping our community find their place in the emerging fields of science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Join us for our monthly live stream on our website, stemforwardedu.org. Watch, subscribe, share. Also join our mailing list to stay up to date with STEM resources and opportunities. STEM Forward, the future is now. Watch, subscribe, share. Network International, in collaboration with STL Black Woman, DACA, and ACTA, present the Royal Pilgrimage to the Americas, August 24th through the 28th. The African kings and queens are coming to you for business, networking, and sharing of Pan-African ideals. The venue will be the illustrious En Garde Arts Hotel in St. Louis, Missouri. A royal cultural experience and exhibitions, trade and investment opportunities in Africa, the Caribbean, and the Americas a Royal Pan-African Summit hosting keynote speakers, and a red carpet banquet. Come and witness our African Royal Coronation Ceremony. Register at www.idonetwork.org to book your ticket to wine and dine with African royalty. Vendor opportunities available. Get face-to-face -face with the royals who own the land and resources for business. Contact DACA for deal room information at 602-730-4572. <laughs> 